Medical deliveries by drones like the one that you can hear now could help provide future support for the health service in remote communities across the UK. In this episode, we're going to hear about a recent drone trial, what was learned, and what's next. News, views, and interviews. This is CAA On Air. Hello, and welcome to CAA On Air, the podcast from the UK Civil Aviation Authority. I'm Nathan Lovett from the CAA's communications team, and I'm joined again by Ollie Turner, who's also part of our communications team and works closely with the CAA's innovation team. Now, Ollie joined us for part one of this series, and he's back again for the final episode of the series. So welcome back, Ollie, and thanks for joining us. Hi, Nathan. Yeah, thanks, thanks for having me back. Um, as you say, I've been working on the innovation front for the CAA for a couple of years now, so it's always exciting to be part of a project like this where we get to find out a bit more about the exciting work going on in the sector. So as mentioned, this is the final episode in a three-part series where we've been learning how drone deliveries could be used to support future ways of working in the NHS. In part one, we spoke with an organisation called UK Research and Innovation, or UKRI, that is funding research and development for greener ways to fly, including all electric aircraft and deliveries by drone. Our second episode looked at a recent project that trialled drone deliveries of PPE and other medical supplies from Cornwall to the City Isles. And for this third episode, we'll be hearing about a trial involving medical drone deliveries between two hospitals in the Scottish Highlands to help the NHS response to COVID-19. We're joined by Alex Brown, Head of Operations at a company called Skyports, who work with the NHS on this project. So Alex, many thanks for joining us and welcome. Thanks very much, guys. Great to be here. We're actually going to start by hearing from someone in the NHS that you work with during this trial. And this helps explain some of the challenges that the NHS currently experience with transporting medical supplies and tests in this particular area of Scotland. My name's Stephen Whiston. I'm the Head of Strategic Planning and Performance at Argyll and Butte's Health and Social Care Partnership, and we're within the NHS Highland area. The most significant issue for us within Argyll and Butte is precisely our geography. We're uh, an island and remote rural area in, in the, on the west coast of Scotland, covering some two and a half thousand square miles. But we often sort of joke that we've got a coastline that's bigger than France, and consequently, that's a real challenge for us in, with regard to logistics and delivery of clinical and, and medical and, and other supplies to our various hospitals and locations. We have seven hospitals and, and 41 GP surgeries. And so one of the challenges for us is through the whole of the year in meeting the requirements of services there, particularly clinical services, where there might be a time issue on, on the support that we can provide. Because we're an island and, and rural area, we use ferries, aircraft, and primarily vans for our logistical support. We do have one railway that runs to Oban from Glasgow, but, but to no other place within, within Argyll and Butte. So consequently, the key issue for us is how can we remove distance as a logistical problem? And that logistical problem is invariably tied up with time and speed of delivery for certain key items which we require that timeliness. And one of those is an area of laboratory specimens, specimen collection and delivery of, of specimen tubes. And particularly at the moment with the uh, unfortunate COVID pandemic and, and the requirements of our increased testing, that's become a real challenge for us logistically. Where we're having to increase the frequency of our collections and delivery, particularly into Glasgow, where, where the main testing lab is. And that's added a significant burden of work to our already hard-pressed staff and, and significant mileage that we're having to cover. 
one of the key planks of coping with the pandemic and supporting clinical services and, and patients is test and, and protect as a key element for it. So needing to ramp up the testing, particularly patients who are admitted to hospital, require access to quick tests so we understand their COVID situation and, and therefore can put in place the necessary treatment to support them with their care. So the turnaround of that's really important. Following on from that clip from Stephen, I thought we could actually kick off our deep dive into Skyport's project today by finding out a little bit more about what your objectives were for the work, Alex, and what made you choose the Highlands for it? Yeah, absolutely. Well, the Highlands is a fascinating place. I mean, as Stephen said, it's an incredibly remote place, um, an incredible amount of coastline, a lot of islands. So, if you look at sort of how you know NHS, the, how the supply chain works or in logistics work, you've you know some of the very remote uh, medical practices only actually receive sort of you know two, three, four uh, pathology pickups a week. So if you're a patient who you know you happen to get sick on a Tuesday, but the delivery doesn't happen, the, the pickup doesn't happen to a Wednesday, you're sort of stuck and you sort of you know you're waiting to get your pathology results back, which is a real issue when you're talking about patient care and starting treatment and, and particularly from a COVID perspective where it's obviously essential to get those results back around your, your COVID test because you want to start uh, isolating you know, away from your friends, family, the community or, you, or indeed you want to sort of get back to, to normal life as, as normal as life can get during COVID and, and you know you need to have a very fast logistics service to do that which can get your, your result to the lab as quickly as possible and get that result turned around to you and, and your doctor so you can start treatment. So. That was very much sort of why we focused on the Highlands area and, and the project we were doing here, it was a, a European space agency and a UK space agency funded project, essentially focused on how we could use drone delivery to assist in the COVID-19 response. So we were serving uh, four different medical practices in the, the Argyll and Butte area in the Highlands, different levels of hospitals, which is really interesting to see how different medical facilities benefited from a drone delivery system and, and it is different depending on, on what type of facility you are and really we were setting up a, a very fast frequent reliable most of the time drone delivery service between those medical practices where we we take the pathology samples and the, the laboratory where we're testing the pathology samples so really you know your, your standard pathology stuff like blood stool samples urines and that sort of thing carrying some some medicine from the laboratory out to the, the individual medical practices uh, and obviously COVID tests. So, you know, a big focus was PCR tests during the, the operation. We, we carried a lot of PCR tests and which allowed people to get the results a lot sooner than they would have otherwise received them. It's really interesting stuff, Alex. Um, I was wondering, do you know what sort of timescales um, the NHS were facing for transporting medical cargo before the trials started? So with more traditional methods? Yeah, it, it really depends. So the, there's actually an independent um, evaluation done after we, we finished the project by a, a, an organisation called uh, Health Improvement Scotland, which is essentially the an independent body sort of attached to the NHS Scotland in, in Scotland. What they found is that on average, when we look at a, a normal career or a van service, so how, how things are done at the moment, it takes on average about 20 hours for a sample to be moved from the medical practice or hospital where it's taken from back to the central pathology lab for testing. So that 20 hours includes, you know, the, the sitting time, the waiting time as it sits at the medical practice. And then also includes the actual transport time itself. Um, and obviously that's just an average that sort of, that hides the, both on the good side, you know, the, the, the short transports where it takes a couple of hours, but it also hides on the, on the bad side, you know, the times where it may take 36, 48 hours. So, Quite long time frames, and I think if you if you live in the you know the city, and you know, I live in London personally, 
you're not used to that. You're used to, you know, you, you get a pathology sample taken and within hours it's it's in the lab. This is just not the case in these rural environments. This is how logistics works and, and people get used to it. So to be able to sort of introduce strain deliveries, which our average at the end of it, which again was this was from Health Improvement Scotland who found this, was an hour. So from the time that the, the sample was taken to the time that the time that it arrived at the lab for testing, it was an hour. So literally 19 hours faster on average than the existing way of doing things. So a real improvement for for patients whose tests we were carrying. Yeah, I, th- I think it's fantastic to see how these new tech can really help improve connectivity across the UK, really. Um, I think a lot of people see drone deliveries as just perhaps getting a takeaway delivered or something like that. And it's really great to see how it's actually going to become a really important part of the UK's infrastructure. Something else I wanted to ask about is there must have been a lot of people involved with this. So I was wondering what other organizations you work with on delivery and what their roles were. Yeah, definitely it's a team effort, this one. So obviously we worked really closely with the European and the UK space agencies who supported this, both from a, a funding perspective as well as to helping with you know technical implementation. Obviously, we use a lot of space technologies with this. We look a lot at satellites, data in terms of route planning, our what's called our C2 link, so how we stay connected to the drone from our ground control station uses both LTE, so you know the signal in your phone, and also uses SATCOM. So a lot of work with those guys there. In terms of sort of our partners on the project, we work really closely with Deloitte and Vodafone. So Deloitte, obviously the huge professional services firm, but what they're actually really good at as well is developing IT and developing sort of software. So they developed for us a customer interface and it was actually through the customer interface that the NHS staff ordered everything through. And I think the easiest way to describe it is, is like a, a very simple sort of shopping experience, except you don't have to pay, which is nice. So, you know, they would, they would click through and click free blood tests from location X to location Y, add to cart, check out. That would come through to us and we would go and, and deliver on that order. So Deloitte, we worked really closely with Deloitte on that. And then Vodafone was a really important partner for us too. So as I mentioned before, so that C2 link, which you know gives us all the information on where is the drone at the moment, what's the key telemetry coming off the drone and allows us to connect to the drone to sort of to do anything with it at any point during the mission, uses, uses LTE as its primary uh, data link. So we worked with Vodafone and, and they could tell us things like, you know, if we're flying at 400 feet and we're flying between Hospital X and Hospital Y, which may be 60 kilometers apart and 30 kilometers from the nearest mobile phone tower, what's the likelihood that we'll have coverage? So they could help us with the route modeling that we do internally. And also they could give us the these really interesting devices, which we actually put on board the drone. And then as we fly, they're constantly capturing the telecoms data, which they could then provide back to Vodafone, and they can then say to us, the quality of the coverage differed from what we modeled by by this much, and therefore this is how you should optimize your routes in the future based on always maintaining that LTE connection. Now, of course, it's fine if we were to lose that because we have that, what we call an always-on SATCOM connection, which uses the Iridium network, which means that wherever in the world we are, uh, we always have a a connection as long as the, the drone can see the sky. It's a huge team effort, this project. I can really see that. And it's great to see some large organizations involved as well. Just one final question for me in this sort of opening to, to this episode was, how, how long did the trial run for? This was a three-month project, which we did. And this is really just the start. You know, we can talk about what's next later. So a three-month project where we tried to fly every day. There were some days where we couldn't fly due to weather. But on average, our uptime was about 70%. So 70% of the time we flew. 
And it's worth keeping in mind that we were flying predominantly over the winter period in Scotland, so from uh, from February through to May. So, and over that time, we flew on average, you know, anywhere from sort of five to fifteen flights per day per drone. At the end, we actually started flying two drones each day, which is really exciting, sort of really increasing the the throughput that we can put through the logistics system. Uh, and and on total, I think that was about. 14,000 kilometers that we flew beyond visual line of sight. So really a, a very large amount of distance that we flew. And it, it's really important to do that because it, you know, it generates the data that we need, that the Civil Aviation Authority needs, the NHS needs to understand the sorts of kilometers that you can start to put through these drone delivery systems and start to prove that they are a system that can be used on a day-to-day basis that are reliable. It's, it's not just a one-trick pony that you can go and do one flight with. We're actually going to start looking in more detail now some of the benefits of this work. And we're we're going to hear again from Stephen Whiston at the NHS because he explained some clear benefits to us in terms of what a game changer this could be for the NHS. So let's hear from him now. We're now part of a a national group looking at how drones can be used innovatively across the whole of Scotland to not only meet the remote and rural requirements, but actually what are some of the the urban urban needs for an for, for the NHS going forward and and some of these potential user cases are are really really looking at areas of pharmacy where there are uh, for instance new cancer treatment pathways which require chemotherapy drugs which have a limited shelf life a very limited shelf life from when they're because these are these are if you like custom made and then need to be delivered to the user hospital outside of the the specialist center where they're produced and and so there's a real opportunity there that that instead of us having to cram it into the back of a laundry van or a taxi that this is this could become a more of a bespoke service and provide more of these services for patients within their communities within their hospitals within their communities rather than to having to travel to specialist centers so these are new treatment pathways being looked at and how that can be automated within an advanced logistics system to support that and similarly we've been looking at test user cases for blood transfusion and products, which is matching blood types. There's a, a recognition that particularly as a consequence of COVID, unfortunately, blood donations have fallen across Scotland and, and has across the UK o- over the last few years. And it's clear that by using more sophisticated and, if you like, the use of the internet and linking it with, with speedy logistics, which can be available fairly quickly and, and drones could meet that requirement, we could improve the availability of these products just when they're needed and not holding them in, in reserve and then finding that, that they've expired because because we've had to do that to reduce that wastage significantly. So these are some of the high value, significant areas that the NHS in, in Scotland is beginning to, to look and examine about the use of, if you like, the small drone area. And then we also want to see the development of the larger drones to maybe carry some of our, our larger products and as a sort of main transport hub down an airway then have that distribution link. So a couple of examples there from Stephen, particularly around blood transfusions and cancer pathways. But I'm just keen to understand also from your point of view, and we've touched a little bit on the drone deliveries and what a time saver they can be for the NHS. But was there anything else that really stood out to you in terms of the benefits here moving forward with using this as a transportation option? Yeah, I think, you know, we've we, we touched on the hours, but so I think what gets missed with the, the way that the current logistics are done is to a degree, the, the logistics method and network is dictating, I guess, how healthcare is delivered. And so I guess what I mean by that is if you have to give blood at the moment at one of these very rural medical practices, 
the van typically comes before 10. It does sort of a standard, you know, circular round and it will sort of pick up all the samples on the way. And so what the what the GP does at the moment, because they're just trying to live with this, is they say, you know, you're, you're giving blood, come in before 10 a.m. Now, the reason that is, is because the van's coming at 10. So it's not because that's the best time for you as a patient or, or your sort of healthcare needs dictate that you should be doing that. So what we can do with drone delivery is change it from a, the logistic, the time of the van is dictating when you come in to a, you come in when you want to, or you come in when healthcare requires that you come in. So if that means you come in at 3 p.m. and then we can get a drone out at 3.30 and bring that drone back, then that's what we're gonna do. And I think that's a very different approach to medicine in these variable areas. But for me personally, I think that's the biggest benefit I see is, is going to sort of a, a patient first approach to healthcare with logistics just being the boring thing that happens afterwards and as opposed to logistics dictating how we deliver healthcare. Staying with the benefits of drone delivery, Stephen also mentioned that the weather in this area of Scotland can sometimes make it challenging for the NHS to transport supplies and test samples. My understanding is that weather is less of a limitation for drones compared with manned aircraft. So could you talk us through that, please? Yeah, I would really describe it as, as a different set of limitations. And I, I think the key thing to note is that every mode of transportation in Argyll and Buda and the Highlands and, and rural Scotland encounters some type of issue over winter. You know, whether you're a boat, a train, a plane, a car, a van, a scooter, you know, Wind, ice, rain is a really tricky thing to do and particularly when you're having to travel to islands on ferries, you know, there's issues with the ferries not running and stuff like that. So, but in terms of, I guess, specifically, so over the course of February to May, as I sort of mentioned before, we operated with an uptime of about 70%, so 70%. And the majority of the, I guess, the downtime that we faced was due to wind. The drones we use are supplied by a fantastic Australian company called Swoop Aero. So we don't actually manufacture the drones. We work with them really closely to use their drones. They have a wind tolerance of about 30, 30 knots, and they have a very good range it. So really, it's only wind that affects us. And then there's some level of icing conditions we have to be aware of in winter as all the aircraft folk out there who fly fixed wing aviation would be, would be very aware of. But it is different as well, because if you look at, for example, how the ferries operate in the area. So the majority of the ferries, when it starts to hit around that same, you know, 28, 29, 30 knot mark, they also can't travel because the, the waves get too much. But what you find with the ferries is they need a larger time period of which the wind is less. So, you know, they might need a, a five-hour period at which the wind is lower than 25, 20 knots, for example. Drone delivery, because it's much quicker and it's easier to deploy, uh, it's much nimbler. If we have like a, a break in the weather, we can get a drone delivery out. So it's much easier, I guess, to pick gaps in the bad weather that we do experience to be able to deliver those sort of key items in cargo within the NHS supply chains. But Regardless, it was a challenge, to be honest, and it's something that we're very focused on working on moving forward. I mean, to give you an idea, during the project, we set up some really interesting remote weather stations, which were entirely you know, solar-powered. Had some pretty sophisticated weather measurement equipment on there, and we're connected via LTE back to our system. So we had these um, you know, low-level weather monitoring stations all over sort of Argyle and Butte, so we could understand it in much more granular detail what the weather was like and allow us to make go-no-go decisions on on deploying the drones. But yeah, definitely an area sort of to look at going forward and something we're very focused on improving around our uptime. You're listening to CAA On Air. One of the questions we've been asking everyone throughout this three-part series is around any challenges they experienced during this work. 
Now, I'd expect challenges could be anticipated with any trial or research project, but on this occasion, you're also running this trial during a pandemic. So is there anything that stands out to you as one of the biggest challenges that you faced? You know, obviously deploying a team to rural Scotland in the middle of a pandemic comes with its challenges, but we've got a great team. They they managed to do that and work through it, and everyone's very understanding around the, the need to do that, which is great. I think around, you know, obviously a topic very very close to you guys is, is the regulatory frameworks we, op- we operate within. So the working with the Civil Aviation Authority was fantastic. You know, I think they recognised very quickly as COVID-19 hit that drone delivery, for example, can have a real positive application to things like COVID-19 have a really good benefit and sort of they helped us around trying to expedite some approval processes, obviously within the very strict rigour of the, the existing frameworks they have. But it was really good to work with them. And but I think some of the, the the regulatory frameworks that we use maybe have not sort of kept up with the pace of innovation. So if we take a very specific type of regulatory approvals here, dangerous goods, for example. So the, the goods that we're flying, we're flying blood samples, we're flying stool samples are classified as dangerous goods under sort of aviation regulations. Now, those regulations were designed for a Boeing 737, for example, which is flying a blood sample across countries. They weren't really designed for Skyports, the drone delivery company, carrying a blood sample from a hospital to another hospital 50 kilometers away. So trying to sort of adapt these regulatory frameworks and work with the regulator, your colleagues, to sort of get the regulatory approvals was, it was a real challenge. And it was very sort of a, very much sort of a partnership iterative approach to, to do that. And it was very good to do that at the end and it was a, it was a great outcome. Was there anything that surprised you? Again, m- mentioning the fact that you're working in an area where you're, you're breaking new ground and you're conducting operations that aren't standard procedure. Anything that you took away from the trial that was a key learning or a big surprise, something that you weren't expecting? Yeah, I think there are a couple of things. Really. I think the, the, the first one was how quickly the frontline NHS staff that we're working with adopted the service. So They've obviously been working with the existing logistics methods forever, essentially. You know, it's always been the same, which is van comes at 10 a.m., samples go into van, van drops them back at the, the medical practice or whatever the specific arrangements are for each medical practice or hospital. We were obviously coming in with a completely different type of logistics network, which required different processes. And so we were slightly worried about how quickly the NHS frontline staff, who were already absolutely swamped by, by COVID-19 and the workloads there, how quickly they would adapt to using the drone delivery network. And it was that it was very quickly, you know, within a matter of a week, you know, we we had sort of full buy-in from the frontline staff that were using it, they're really enjoying using it. And I think that was because because of two things. You know, A, they could see, hear, feel the tangible benefit coming from it. They could see in their email inbox that that pathology result coming back two hours after they'd taken that blood sample as opposed to 24 hours after. And the other thing is we tried to keep it very simple. So as I mentioned before, you know, the customer interface that was developed by Deloitte, very simple. It's a checkout style system. You know, everyone knows how to, to shop online, right? It's great. It's great fun to do. We sort of just use that sort of user interface to, to, to use for the customer interface. So that works really well. The other thing I would say as well is how quickly a service like this becomes boring. The first couple of days you, you run the service, it's really interesting. It's exciting. We've got people coming down. After that, you, people don't even look at it when it flies past the sky. And that's awesome. That's what we want it to be, right? Because we, we want it to be just another boring logistics service that, that is used to transport things you know, cost-effectively, quickly, frequently, safely from A to B. So that was really interesting. And I think also... I guess in terms of how the benefits actually 
flow through and the different types of medical facilities. You know, we were serving different types of facilities. We were serving everything from medical practice where we may get, you know, hundreds of medical samples per day, hundreds of blood samples per day, all the way down to um, a smaller medical practice, which may only have 10 pathology samples per day. And what you find is that on a per sample basis, the benefit is highest on those smaller medical practices, which is really interesting. And what that means for us, I guess, is how we look at rolling this out going forward is you don't actually really start at the end of the supply chain where the volume is the highest. You start at the other end. You start at the end of the supply chain where the volume is the lowest. It's those really small medical practices which only give a couple of samples you know, per day, per week. And you start to replace the van which is serving those routes. And you let the van do what it's very good at, which is serving the high volume routes between, let's say, you know, Oban and Glasgow or, or Glasgow and Aberdeen and those sorts of routes. So I just wanted to jump in and talk about where we go from here, really. What's next for you, Alex? Have you got anything exciting coming up? Yeah, there's some super exciting things sort of on the horizon. So directly out of this project, we've been working really closely with the NHS, the UK and the European Space Agencies and the CIA on sort of the next phase of this project. And as of the time of this recording, you know, it sort of it literally is a moving, evolving thing. We're currently looking to be to finalise being added to what's called the, the CIA regulatory sandbox. And as part of that, we'll be looking at using a different type of airspace construct to do real-world joint deliveries for the NHS. So we're looking at rolling that out in 2022, and that'll be a, you know, a longer project where we're working directly with the CIA to look at how can we actually have an airspace framework that isn't restrictive and prevents other types of aviation from using the, the same type of airspace that we use to fly in? And that's very much the focus because to date, we've always used what we call a temporary danger area to operate within. We don't like using that because it restricts airspace up to a certain altitude from operating within that. We want to be operating in airspace alongside manned airspace users in, and preferably in unsegregated airspace. So. That's a real focus area for us, and we'll be looking to do that next year. We've also got some other really exciting projects working with other NHS trusts around the UK um, and also some other, other partners of ours as well. So, for example, we do some really great work with Royal Mail. We did their first drone delivery about nine months ago, actually, in, in, in Scotland in the same sort of area. So, some very exciting projects which we're, we're looking forward to executing on and, and sharing a bit more about. Thanks, Alex. And we're going to hear again now from Stephen Whiston and what he sees as the next steps for the NHS following these drone delivery trials. Within our guideline view, I'm quite clear the evaluation that we're doing is about looking at that economic and best value need. Should that come out well, then we would want to pursue what could that mean to augment and enhance our logistics service and put out to tender for a drone operator to provide some of these services that, that we need. I recognise, I'll be, I'll be honest here, I recognise that needs to be at scale and it needs to involve a number of other users buying into it. Certainly with, with us seeing what comes out of, of what this pilot will give us, this three-month three pilot will give us, is a key plank for, for justifying that need going forward and will support absolutely that more national focus, which where significant work's been looked into working with the CAA and other agencies about what would be, if you like, and, and this is my ignorance, motorway in the sky for drones to be used, to be flown safely and, and correctly to, to deliver services to the public sector as well as private sector and, and local individuals. Thanks very much to Alex. And you can find links to more information about Skyports and their work in the episode notes. And Skyports were recently involved with a trial exploring drone deliveries to the Isles of Scilly from Cornwall. And you can hear more about that project in part two of this series. 
And as always, if you have any questions or suggestions for areas that you'd like us to cover in future podcasts, please get in touch with us by emailing onair at caa.co.uk. Thanks for listening and see you next time. Thanks for listening. This is CAA On Air.